doing well. Glad that you could join us online this morning. And uh, also just want to pass on, look at things are in the works. We are prepping uh, to be gathering together again physically. And our goal is this, actually not the goal. This is what we're going to be doing. We are going to be gathering uh, starting May 31st together again for worship. Uh, it's kind of cool because May 31st happens to land right on Pentecost Sunday, uh, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus or the, or the crucifixion of Jesus and then following his resurrection. And uh, we're going to be gathering to worship and we're going to do this. We're going to go to a multi-service format, okay? So just so you're aware of what's happening, uh, we're going to have two services on that Sunday. Of course, we're capped. We want to honor what the government's asking. And uh, so we're going to keep our services to 50 people. We're going to do two services. We're going to do it at 9.30 and 11 a.m. We're going to cut our service down to an hour. And uh, we, so we just want to encourage you to have that uh, in your mind and in your heart. We're going to be sending out more info with regards to that and how that'll function and work. And so just uh, stay tuned for that, okay? So there's a few announcements for you, and I, I, I'm so looking forward to us getting back together. And then uh, I just want to pass on one more thing before I would get into the text for this morning. And that's this, that uh, this past week I had someone send me uh, their kid who's under, I'm not going to give it away who it is, but I happen to think that they're watching again this morning, uh, under the age of 12, did some artwork while I was preaching and they, they drew a, a picture of the children of Israel coming to the Jordan River, crossing through the Jordan River and and onto dry ground, and in that picture, I could see the monument in the middle of the river, and it was awesome. I, I just thought, how cool. So here's the deal, kids. This is for the kids, for those who are under 12 this morning, okay? So if you're under 12, we're gonna, I'm going to be teaching on an amazing story from the Bible, Joshua. We sometimes call it Joshua on the Battle of Jericho, when the walls of Jericho came down. So if you're under the age of 12, and you do this, if you draw a picture for me, maybe the walls of Jericho, maybe uh, the army circling around, whatever it is, maybe it's the commander of the Lord's army, and you draw me a picture and you get it to me, you can send it to my email, okay, mattrowan at ctkgibsons.com, or you can get a hold of me here at the church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy you an ice cream from Mike's Place. How about that, okay? Gelato. I'm going to send you a coupon in the mail for gelato from Mike's Place. So kids, Challenge on. I want to see some artwork this morning, okay? Sound good? Right on. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And as you're flipping there, let's, uh, let's just open God's Word and open with a word of prayer, all right? So Lord, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to uh, gather in this way, Lord. It's, it's not ideal, but Lord, every time obstacles come before the children of God, you turn them into opportunities, and we want to just see uh, these days as an opportunity to share Jesus with our community, with our families, with our friends online, and we don't like not being together, Lord, but uh, we recognize you've got something that you're doing in these days, Lord, and we want to join with you in those purposes, and so, Lord, we pray that you just bless this time in your word, Lord, that as we contemplate these things, as we think on these things, as we look at this Old Testament story, great story about Joshua and the city of Jericho, uh, our heart and our desire, Jesus, is to see you, to draw closer to you, and to see what you are doing in the hearts and lives of your people. And we ask you to do the same in our lives, Lord. And so we just pray your blessing on this time in the word, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Okay, Joshua chapter 6. And as we come to uh, this section of Joshua chapter 6, we're at this um, point in the history of God's people, the children of Israel, where they are now about to begin their conquest of the promised land, their conquest of uh, that which was promised to them. And it begins with this famous story of the fall of the city of Jericho, the battle against the city of Jericho. Now, as we've been seeing and looking at the book of Joshua the last number of weeks and just uh, cruising through these, cha- these verses chapter by chapter, we've seen that the book of Joshua is presenting for us as followers of Jesus this, this spiritual picture of promised land living rather than wilderness wandering. And it's pictures for us that, that help us illustrate what it means to enter into the promised life and the life of the Spirit. And so that's what the, the book of Joshua illustrates for us. And so up until this point, as we've been through the first five chapters now, everything I would say has been more or less preparation for what's about to happen. Every, everything has led up to this point for the real task. And the real task was this that the land be conquered, that the seven nations that dwelt in the land of Canaan be defeated and the children of Israel take possession of that which the Lord had given them as their promise, and their promised inheritance. And so, you know, as we read through the book of Joshua, we see these Canaanite nations occupied the land. And if Israel was going to enter into their inheritance, it meant this, they're going to have to get involved in conflict. There was going to be battles, and those battles were going to be with these inhabitants of the land. And, you know, the true reality for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when you're born again and you enter uh, the life that Jesus gives you and you enter into the life of the kingdom, Jesus becomes the Lord and leader of your life. But following Jesus is like, I love this illustration, it's not like a country song played backwards. It's not like everything comes back together necessarily in your life. Like you get your dog back and your truck back and your job back and your girlfriend back and everything just sorts out nice and easy. No, following Jesus means this actually. It means that you're going to enter into a life of spiritual battle, of spiritual conflicts, of spiritual warfare. And the wonderful part in that is knowing this, that in Jesus, there's salvation. In Jesus, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus, the shame and guilt of the past is taken care of. In Jesus is the promise of his guidance. In Jesus is the blessing of being able to come before him and pray, the promise of his presence, the promise of his spirit, the promise of his peace. And I mean, I could go on and on for the rest of the day, all of the blessings that come along with following Jesus. But the truth is, it's not a life that is free from conflict. And in particular, spiritual conflicts, spiritual battles. You know, the Bible tells us that the Christian, the follower of Jesus, will have conflict with the world and the flesh and the devil. And in this passage of Scripture, in Joshua chapter 6, the conflict that is seen, the conflict that is illustrated for us, is the conflict actually with the devil, with spiritual forces. And it's amazing, you know, when you, when you just consider this story that the life of wilderness wandering 
it really illustrates this. It, it, it illustrates the picture of a Christian who has opted out of promised land living. They've opted out of spiritual conflict. They've said, hey, you know, that's like just hard territory and I don't want to go there. So I'm going to isolate myself into the land of the wilderness. And, and I'm going to avoid those conflicts that might happen as I follow Jesus. But what we see here, what we see in this Joshua chapter 6 is that there were seven nations that were in the land of Canaan that the children of God were going to have conflicts with and they illustrate for us these conflicts with principalities and powers and wicked spirits who resist God's people and who resist the purposes of God. And you know, here's what Satan is looking to do to the children of God. He's looking to lull us to sleep. He's looking to snatch and steal the word of God from us to dull our senses so that we practically in our lives don't take hold of the things that are ours in Christ Jesus. And so everything in this story so far to Joshua chapter 6 has led the children of Israel to prepare them for this battle. They've crossed the Jordan. They've come uh, to the land of Gilgal where they've set up their camp, their base of operations. We said, this is a picture of life lived at the empty tomb. And everything has brought them to this place for this battle. And you know, I just think this. Isn't it true for us? The same thing's true for you and for I? That Jesus is always using everything to prepare us for the next thing. So I look, you know, what's going on in the world today? What's going on in our lives? Look at Jesus always using the thing that's happening in our life to prepare us for the next thing. So we want to learn. We want to be teachable. We want to come alongside the Lord and follow him. And, and so, you know, where we left off in the text is at the end of chapter 5. And uh, where we left off was with Joshua having a personal meeting with Jesus. Now, so often we miss this in the scripture. We go, oh, that's needy. He met the commander of the Lord's army. No, he met Jesus. Joshua met Jesus. Jesus physically came to him and, and Joshua saw this, this soldier in front of him with his sword drawn, the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua said to him, are you for us or are you for the enemy? Like, do I need to pull out my sword or do I need to and battle you or do I need to get side by side with you, shoulder to shoulder? And Jesus said, no, no, Joshua, wrong question. The question is not, am I for you? The question is, are you for me? Are you on my side? Because I'm the commander. I'm the commander. Are you for me and for my purposes? And you know what Joshua did? The Bible tells us here at the end of Joshua chapter 5, he fell on his face and he worshipped. He worshipped. And that's how we know this was Jesus, because this commander received the worship. And this is, you know, as I think about Joshua chapter 6, here's what I would say. This is one of those spots in the Bible that I want to remind you that the chapter divisions were added much later to help you and I navigate our way through the scriptures. But as far as the intent of the original writer, there's no division here. There's no break. We're not told the commander of the Lord's army left ever. Doesn't tell us that. Joshua just gets instructions for the battle now. And so let's not, let's not miss this. The fact that the title, the chapter break's been added later on. This story flows right straight through. And the encounter with the commander of the Lord's army continues, I would say. And Joshua gets his instructions. So right from the start, let's get this straight, okay? Let's just get this straight as we're laying this out. 
and about to read this great story, the, the, commander, the, the commands regarding the city of Jericho, they did not come from Joshua. The commands regarding the city of Jericho came from Jesus. It came from Jesus. It's not Joshua leading the armies of Israel, church. Jesus has taken his place as the commander of the army. It's Jesus. Jesus is in charge of this campaign. Now let's read verse 1. If you're there, it's going to come up on the screen. If you're not there, it says this. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Wow, that's crazy. I read that. I go, no one gets out. No one comes in because this was a local government lockdown. That's what was happening. No reports, though. We don't read there that they had to wear face masks. As far as I know, Walmart was still open, but they were lining up outside of the hardware store. But they were, they were locked down. And the Bible tells us that there was no spirit in them. It had departed from them. They, their hearts were failing them for fear as they had heard the reports of what God had done for his people. As they heard how God's people had crossed uh, on dry ground through the Red Sea, and now they had witnessed Israel cross on dry ground uh, through the Jordan. And their only hope was the security of their walls, man. They were locked down. You know, dear Christian friend, I would say to this to you. Your security is not found within four walls. Like, just remember this for a moment, Christian. The security of your life is not found within the four walls of your house. In fact, the church of Jesus Christ is not to be held back by four walls. It's not to be contained by four walls. We've, we've always said this for how many years? You know, on a Sunday morning, and we hear told all the time that the church isn't a building, the church is the people. The worst thing that could happen for the people of God is to be held within walls. Our security is not in walls. Our security is in Christ Jesus. Our security is in the cross. Our security is in, in Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his victory over sin and death and over this world. Jesus victorious over the flesh. Jesus victorious over the devil. That's our security. And inside the walls of Jericho, the enemy knew this. The enemy, knew of, the enemy of God's people knew that they were already defeated. Did you know that? That the devil already knows that he's defeated? He already knows it. I think the enemy inside the walls of Jericho knew it more than the children of Israel. The enemy comprehended, I'm done. I'm toast. The enemy comprehended the victory of God's people more than God's people comprehended their victory. And often I think that's the case for you and I. The enemy knows, Satan knows he's defeated. He's done, man. He is done. He fights from the position of defeat. That's what he does. Fights from defeat because Jesus is victorious. But do you know where you fight from, Christian? Follower of Jesus? You fight from the place of victory. You fight for victory, from victory, because Jesus is victorious in our life and identity and hope and future is in him. You know, I think about the Bible 
Books like Joshua, books like Judges, and these different places, they have like, you know, First and Second Samuel. So many places in the Bible, we read uh, uh, lots of battle accounts. There's lots of battle accounts, war accounts, cities being destroyed, God instructing for these things to happen. And we go, oh, that, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. A lot of people think that about the Bible. They say, whoa, that makes me uncomfortable. Why are these things happening? And, and I would tell you this, it, they're happening, and, and maybe the reason why you don't feel comfortable is this, is because you don't actually truly understand the reality of the enemy. That there is an enemy. That sin and death are true enemies. That there are enemies against the people of God. And it cost Jesus. Just think about what it cost Jesus to set you free from sin and death. It cost him his life. And, you know, we can't, we can't downplay this. The reality of the enemy, the power of sin, the seductiveness of the flesh, the work of the devil. I mean, let's not be sentimental about the reality of what it cost Jesus to purchase your freedom. It cost his life. Jesus defeated sin and death, but it cost him his life. And if it cost Jesus his life to rescue rescue us, but he was raised in power, I would just say this. We cannot ignore the realities of spiritual warfare. That there's conflict in this world for those who follow Jesus. There's a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness. And if we, ignore, if we ignore the spiritual realities, I would just tell you this, we're already defeated. We're already defeated. And so the battle accounts of the Bible, they're actually there for your benefit. That's why they're there. These battle accounts that make us uncomfortable, yeah, that's the idea. They're there for our benefit because battles are real, man. Battles are for real, there is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness, and they're fighting against one another. Well, let's read on. Well, actually, let me read this to you. It says this in Ephesians about the reality of battles. It says this, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Man, when the Apostle Paul said that to the Ephesians, there's crazy stuff in there that we battle against cosmic powers, evil forces, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, Christians, Battles are real. Spiritual warfare is real. And you know, the Bible even tells us Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, again, it's not, he's not going to be motivated by, you know, emotion and sentiment. He's coming again as the commander of the army of the Lord. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to establish his throne. And Jesus is going to rule on this earth. You know, I think about our world right now, I think that this is worth addressing, but 
you know, sometimes you wonder, should I, should I land out on these things? Should I talk about these things? On what level do I go to these things? Uh, with regards to coronavirus and all the stuff that's happening. And I, I want to just say this to you. There's a spiritual battle happening on the face of the earth. And what is going on in the world is much less about a virus than it is about a war. It's much, much less about a, a, a virus than it is about a spiritual battle that is unfolding on the earth. Don't close your eyes to that. Don't drift off into sleep with regards to that. Don't lose the victory that Christ has provided for you. You know, we fight from victory for victory, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against spiritual enemies. And I'll tell you, the truth is this, and we don't like to think this sometimes, but, but Satan uses people to oppose Jesus. Satan uses people to oppose the church. And there is something unfolding on the face of the earth right now that is real. That is real. And I think, you know, just as we're in the book of Joshua, I think the timing of the Lord to lead us to the, to the book of Joshua is just to remind us of our calling, to remind us of our purpose, uh, to remind us of our victory, to remind us of the opportunity that is in front of us for the kingdom of God. Let's read on. It says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, Thus you shall do for six days, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Verse 5, and when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Man, I love this. This is amazing. This is quite the battle plan for the children of God. We're going to march. We're going to blow trumpets. It's going to go on for seven days. On the seventh day, you're going to circle that city more. And at the shout, the walls are going to fall flat and the enemy will be destroyed, defeated. And you'll go up into victory. And I love this, that the Lord says to Joshua, Right off the hop, Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given Jericho into your hand. You know, that, I just think that's an act of grace. That's an act of God's unmerited favor. He just said, I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have victory. You know, I, I, I want to encourage you, just when we think of the spiritual battles that you and I are in and what God is causing us to face and to deal with the Jerichos that stand before us, the mighty walls that Satan's built up and, and seem like these impenetrable fortresses in front of us. You know, when we enter into battle and we follow the commander of the Lord's army, King Jesus, victory is ours. And so the Lord says to Joshua, I've given you the city. I've put it into your hand. And this was a challenge for Joshua, a challenge to exercise faith. It was going to be evidence that God was 
generous and kind and gracious to his people. But this battle, I would say, this battle that they were about to enter into, not much, really much of a battle, the march that they were about to enter into was designed to crush every sense of self-sufficiency that Joshua or the children of Israel had. We're going to see this very clearly. Look at the Lord. I want to tell you this. The Lord wants to crush every bit of self-sufficiency you had, you have. He wants you not self-sufficient. He wants you Jesus-dependent, Jesus-reliant. You know, a number of times I've said in Joshua, it's one of the themes that's popping out for me is this, that self-sufficiency is not a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God always leads us towards greater Jesus dependency. You know, I think about Joshua. Joshua himself was a battle-hardened man, more than any man in the nation of Israel. He was, unlike the rest of them, there was only one other fellow. Him and Caleb were the only children in the entire nation of Israel who were actually uh, born in the land of Egypt. Everyone else was born during the wilderness wandering. Joshua personally experienced the first Passover in Egypt. Joshua personally experienced the parting of the Red Sea. Joshua saw the dead bodies of the armies of Pharaoh, the Egyptians, washing up on the shore of the Red Sea. He saw the Lord's victory. Joshua led the children of Israel in their battle against the Amalekites. As Moses stood on the mountainside with the staff of the Lord raised, Joshua was down in the valley with his, with his sword, taking care of business against the enemy. And, and Joshua had seen the presence of God descend on Mount Sinai. He had uh, partaken of the provision of manna. He had drank water from the rock. He had led Israel through the Jordan River. Look at this. This was a battle-hardened man who ex had experienced the presence of God, but he still needed to be emptied of self-sufficiency. You know the proud heart of the flesh that's in me and in you? The proud heart of the flesh that remains in all of God's people? even in the very best of God's people, like Joshua, has this nature that it wants to come up out of the ground, that it wants to rise up and rear its head and wants to take credit, wants to lead you and I, the flesh wants to lead you and I to take credit and the glory that belongs only to Jesus. Because all praise and glory belongs only to Jesus. And so Joshua and the children of Israel, if they were going to have spiritual victory here, they needed to be emptied of their self-sufficiency. And the commander of the Lord's army, King Jesus, said to him, Joshua, I am the one who have given this city into your hand. And it was a word to encourage him, a word to motivate him, but it was also a word to humble him, to say this, Joshua, as we enter into these spiritual conflicts, without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Without me, you can do nothing. No thing can be done without dependence upon me. 
And Joshua was a, a battle-hardened veteran. But the amazing thing is, is that with each instruction he was given on how this was about to go down, he had to humble himself. He had to humble himself because these are not familiar battle plans. I want to tell you this. I want you to see this. These are not familiar battle plans that we read here. For one, do you know that every one of these instructions that the commander of the Lord's army gave to Joshua went against the law of Moses? Say what? Yes. They had never entered into battle and with these tactics ever before. Ever before. For one, the law of Moses said this. The law of Moses said that priests were excluded from military service. The priests were supposed to stay at home behind looking after the tabernacle of God, looking after the presence of God. They didn't, priests did not go out with the army. That's right in the law of Moses. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, you're going to bring the priests and the priests are going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know that that's not, that's not the instruction anywhere else in Scripture that the Ark of the Covenant was to come into battle? You know what happened one other place? I actually think that it's in 1 Samuel when, when the army of Israel took the Ark of the Covenant as this good luck charm into a battle against the Philistines and they were defeated because they treated the presence of God like a good luck charm and the ark was actually kidnapped, taken by the Philistines. As I was studying, I, I, I believe I came to realize that, the Philist, the, that Israel was actually motivated by this story in Jericho. This is the only other time in Scripture that the ark was taken into a battle situation with the armies of Israel. So you got priests here. You got the ark of the covenant coming. Then the Lord said, then the, the Lord told him, uh, Joshua, you're going to have the priests blow seven ram's horns. They're going to use the ram's horns as their trumpet, and there's going to be seven of them. But did you know that Moses never instructed such things? Did you know that Numbers chapter 10, actually, Moses gives clear and specific instruction on how the armies of Israel were to go out? Do you know what they were to blow? Silver trumpets. And they were to have two of them. Two. Two silver trumpets. But the Lord said, no, you're going to take seven ram's horns. The commander of the Lord's army also told Joshua that they were to encircle the city for six days. And on the seventh day, they were going to go around it seven times. What's the seventh day of the week for the Jewish people? What is it, church? You know what it is. It's the Sabbath. Jesus said on the Sabbath, you're going to circle the city seven times. The law told them, no, on the Sabbath, you rest. Huh. On the day before the Sabbath, you can go out and you can collect a double portion of manna so that you do no work on the Sabbath day. But Jesus told them, no, on the Sabbath, you are going to walk. The army is going to march more than they did in the previous six days combined. This is crazy. I mean, we need to see this in this story because 
the, the actual day when the walls of Jericho would come down would be on the Sabbath. It was a day of rest for the people of God. Instead, they'd subdue the city. They'd kill the survivors, kill the enemy. They'd burn Jericho. You know, of course, there's great history about the nation of Israel in 1967 in the Six-Day War. The Arab states that were coming against Israel actually made it their battle plan to attack Israel on the Sabbath because they knew it was a day of rest for the Jewish people. They knew they'd be unprepared, and they were unprepared. But the Bible actually says that if anyone attacks God's people on the Sabbath, he'd actually fight for them, and that's what we see happening historically in the Six-Day War. You know, I think about Joshua. Joshua apprenticed under Moses. Where Moses was, there he was. That's where you'd find, you'd find Joshua. But the commander of the Lord's army was giving Joshua instructions and directions that would lead him to violate the commands that Moses had given him. Isn't that interesting? And the point is this. Joshua, this isn't your battle. Israel, this isn't your battle. This is my battle. This is the Lord's battle. This is Jesus' battle. And Joshua would not be leading the army this time around. Jesus would lead them. And Jesus would lead them around the walls of Jericho for six days. And on the Sabbath, Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army, would lead them seven times around the walls. And Jesus would encompass the city. And Jesus was the one who would command Joshua to tell the people to shout, and then the walls would come down. Joshua was going to play second fiddle to King Jesus. And Jesus would lead his people. That's you and me. We're always second fiddle. Always second fiddle to King Jesus. And it was because Jesus was in the midst of the children of Israel his people physically, that the rules and the regulations of the law were actually no longer necessary. It's amazing to think about this. We see this in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus was always having conflict with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they, you know, they were firing questions at him. How come you heal people on the Sabbath? How come you're like walking through the fields with your disciples and you pick heads of grain? That's working. How come you're like teaching on the Sabbath? How come your, your, your followers aren't fasting? What is going on here? And, and Jesus, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? He said, my father is the Lord of the Sabbath and he's always working. And so am I always working because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They accused him of violating the Sabbath. And Jesus said, no, no. All of these rules... All of these regulations, all of these rituals, they all serve this purpose to point you to me. You're missing the point. You're serving rituals and rules and regulations when all of it points to me. It's all pointing you to have a relationship with me. You know, I think, how do we know in the story of Joshua that the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus? Well, for one, we know it's Jesus because he said, Joshua, we're going to do some work on the Sabbath. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the silver trumpets. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the priesthood. 
because Jesus is our great high priest. The Ark of the Covenant that embodied the presence of God among his people, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these pictures. See, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And in spiritual battles against spiritual enemies, we need the presence of Jesus. We need to follow the commander of the Lord's army. You know, I'd say this, laws of Moses, these instructions, these laws, they weren't being dropped. They weren't being set aside. They were being fulfilled. They were being fulfilled in Jesus, in him, and by him. And Joshua, you know, Jesus was saying, Joshua, all of these things point to me. Sabbath, silver trumpets, priesthood, Ark of the Covenant. And you know what Joshua did? He dropped on his face and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, Joshua, take off your sandals because this place is holy ground. Holy ground. You know, holy ground is any place where Jesus meets with his people. That's a holy place. That's why we love the church and sometimes we put too much emphasis on the building. We, we love church because it's the place where we say, we meet with God and with his people. Holy ground is any place where Jesus meets with his people and Joshua was learning this and you and I need to learn this. Joshua was learning that Jesus is the fulfillment of all things. You see, in Jesus, rules and rituals aren't necessary. What matters is relationship. What matters is his presence. What matters is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, I was thinking about this for these, you know, for us, our church, CTK, and I know countless churches around the world, these COVID days have been a challenge. Pandemic days. The church hasn't met. We're connecting online. But on some levels, I would say this, for the church, it's exposed our trust in four walls. It's exposed our reliance on rituals. It's exposed our, our traditions. And we need to know what matters is Jesus, church. What matters is not our traditions and our rituals and such things. They don't deserve our trust. Only one person is worthy of our trust. And he is seeking to slay our self-sufficiency. And his name is Jesus. And I just think, you know, in these days, could it be that Jesus is saying to his church? Could it be that Jesus is saying to the church that, look, at you, you've, put your, you've misplaced your trust a bit here. You've put your trust in such things and the only thing that matters is your relationship with me. You know, I think this, I'm like, wow, you know, I don't think, I, I got to just tell you my personal opinion. I don't think anything's ever going back to normal ever again. But you know what? That can't stop us from meeting with Jesus. That cannot stop the body of Christ from meeting with Jesus. We'll do whatever we got to do. Multiple services, that's fine because we love Jesus, not traditions. 
We've got to move stuff off at 10 a.m.? I don't care. I love Jesus, not 10 a.m. Got to go Sunday night? Fine. Sunday night, because I love Jesus. We do it Wednesday? Fine, Wednesday. I think, wow, we gotta, if we got to meet 10 times a week because we're restricted to 50, wouldn't that be awesome? Praise God, we'll do whatever we got to do because we love Jesus, because we're dependent on Jesus. We don't worship rules. We don't, we're the church. We don't worship tradition. We're, we're not into rituals. We love Jesus. We worship Jesus, and, and we will not stop. We won't stop worshiping Jesus if it costs us everything. Though it costs us everything, we'll worship Jesus. And we'll find ways to gather. We will find ways to gather. And this has been kind of fun, kind of interesting. Don't want it to go on forever, but man, you know, we talked about it so many times here amongst us. We should have been doing this a long time ago. You know what COVID did? It woke up a sleeping giant, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ, the gospel going forth in ways never before seen. We're going to find ways to worship Jesus. And so like Joshua, we have to look to our commander. You know, Joshua was standing uh, at Gilgal in the shadow of those walls and, and he lifted his eyes and he saw that the commander of the Lord's army was right there. And let's look for our commander, church. Let's look for our commander because he is leading us from victory to victory for victory. Lift up your eyes. I love it because I just think, man, all coronavirus did was wake up the church. Jesus be glorified. So what happened? Well, what did Joshua do? He obeyed. Let's check it out. Verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests, said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Never done that before, but let's do it. Verse 7. And he said to the people, go forward. March around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns, before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Verse 9, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and they spent their night in the camp. Now, you know, as I read that, the thing that strikes me is this, is that Joshua commanded the people not to shout, not to make a noise, not to make their voice heard until they were told. They were told to be quiet. Be quiet. You know, I, I just think, wow, you know, that's important for us as individuals. But as the church, do you know, we've never been told to be quiet. Jesus has never told us to be quiet. He said, go. Proclaim the gospel. Make disciples. We haven't been told to be quiet. But you know, this instruction is interesting because the New Testament tells us we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. You know that old joke, two ears, one mouth, because you should listen twice as much as you speak. 
The Bible tells us that the tongue itself is an unquenchable fire. That not to speak, that not to speak is like the hardest of commandments. The tongue. You know, restraining my tongue is about the hardest thing I have to do in my whole life. Believe it or not. Some of you guys I know, you like totally long-winded. If you could just restrain that thing. I'm like, I know, it's true. You know, with the tongue, we say things we regret. With the tongue, we badmouth our neighbor. With the tongue, we mock government. With the tongue, we mutter. With the tongue, we complain. With the tongue, we air our grievances. With the tongue, we betray confidences. With the tongue, we compare and we covet. This is why I always think that the gift of tongues is like, a gift from the Spirit is just so awesome and so of, of immense value. Because as we pray in tongues, the Spirit of God controls that which I can't control. Takes rule over that which is impossible for me to rule over and it's taken this instrument, this small instrument in the body and it's, it declares the glory and the praises of God. The only way to silence the tongue is to come before the ark of the Lord. To stand in the shadow of the enemy's fortress. You know, just picture that. The way to silence the tongue is to have the ark of the covenant there and to recognize the wall of the enemy there. I can't beat that. I'm dependent on this. I can't take down the enemy. I'm dependent on Jesus. To see the enemy fortress and to stand before the presence of the Lord, that's, that's when I contemplate and I meditate and I begin to recognize who the Lord is. And I humbly recognize, God, I'm dependent on you. I need you. Jesus, I need you. If I'm going to have victory over this enemy, you got to do the work. I silence myself before you so that you can cause me to shout victory over the enemy. Joshua said, don't make your voice heard till I tell you, then you're going to shout. You know, I think about this. I, I was just kind of stewing on this. I was thinking, you know, maybe we could do so much more for the Lord by doing less. You know, YouTube, Facebook, all this social media, chasing all the information. I don't know about you, but I've been on a hunt, man. I've been on a chase. I'm like chasing truth. I like don't believe what I see on the TV. I don't believe what I hear on the radio. I don't believe what I hear from governments. And I'm like, I'm, I'm on a search for truth, looking for voices to speak the, speak the truth. And I, and I think that's important. We, we need to look for those things. We need to look for alternate sources and not just toe the party line, but say, is there something more going on? And look, I'll see it right from the pulpit. Right here, it's important that it's said. If you think that there is just some conspiracy happening, uh, I got to tell you, there's no conspiracy anymore. It's like totally obvious. Unless you have your head in the sand, you have to look around the world and recognize that there is a war happening. There is a battle for hearts and minds of people, and it is real and it is happening, and it's plain and obvious that there is an incredible evil at work in our world. 
And it's far bigger than a virus. And it's totally clear that there is a powerful movement on the face of the earth for for one world government, for one world economy, for one world religion. And it's very easy to spend hours and hours and hours surfing and watching and researching. And I just got to say to you, maybe we could do more by doing less of that. Spending more time in the presence of God. Gathering wood for the fire. Filling your lamp with oil, the picture that the scripture uses. Waking up from our slumber, asking God to fill our heart with fire. Listen, church, is Jesus Christ our first love? Or do we just love the news? Is Jesus our first love? And the truth is, is we can do more for the kingdom by doing less of that stuff. More time in the presence of Jesus. Look at what it tells us in verse 12 about Joshua. I pointed this out about Joshua before, and we're going to see it again. This isn't the last time. It says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning. I wonder what he was doing. I'll tell you what he was doing. He was going to the tabernacle of the Lord's presence. Spend time with his king. Verse 12, then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. Then the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and they returned into the camp, so they did for six days. Man, I read this, I don't get any sense that Joshua broke down for the army that this was going to take seven days. We have the benefit of the whole story, you know. But they had to walk around those walls on day one and nothing happened. And day two, and nothing happened. And day three, four, five, six, nothing happened. Just return to camp, don't say a word, be quiet. And with each successive day, I think the reality of the task just grew for them. They recognized with greater clarity, and and it set in deeper and deeper. The wilderness had not prepared them for this. They they were not prepared uh, with the equipment or the skills that they had. They didn't have ladders. How were they going to take this city? The only thing that was going to prepare them was the presence of God with them. The impossibility of the task was very real as they marched around the walls of that city. And the Lord was showing them, the victory is not going to come by your might, but by my power. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And they learned patience. And God's people, you know, God's people are not always the most patient. I don't know about you. I'm not exactly the most patient person. We're not always the most patient people. Lord, I prayed about that, like for five minutes. Come on, man. And for three days in a row, for five minutes, Lord, I prayed about that. When are you going to move? Lord's like, yeah, that's why I'm working for patience here. When success is delayed, church, when success is delayed, double down. When success is delayed, double down. Don't quit. Don't quit. Increase your effort. Don't diminish it. Not that we're saved by effort. We're not saved. We're saved by faith. The battle is won by faith, but that doesn't mean we don't work. That doesn't mean 
we, we're slugs. We're lazy. A gift, of, a, a gift is received by faith, not effort. So we stick to the process. You know, it's amazing that it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, that you should not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. We love the faith part. I don't like the patience part so much. They inherited the promises through faith and patience. You know, I think about the children of inside the walls of Jericho. You know, God was still having grace upon them. You know, 400 years they had had while the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt to repent and turn their hearts to God. Children of Israel came to the boundaries of the promised land and they got freaked out and they turned around. They wandered for another 40 years. Jericho got 40 more years to repent. Then Jesus gave them six more days. Six days that they watched. Opportunity to repent, but their their hearts were hard and iniquity reached its peak. And look at verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it is, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel such a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. The Lord says this. There's seven nations. Remember, they're going to defeat. This is number one. And the Lord says to them, you're going to devote everything here to me. Everything from this city belongs to me. It's actually uh, law that the, that the soldiers got to take the proceeds of their victories, the spoils of war. But here the Lord says to Joshua, everything is to be devoted to me. This is the first victory in Canaan, and the first victory is mine. It belongs to me. All of the first fruits go to me. Well, that's a biblical theme right there. First fruits belong to me, says the Lord. And Jericho presented God with the first fruits of his children entering into victory. Now let's read on here. It says this in verse 20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and captured, then they captured the city. And they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there all who belong to her 
as you swore to her. Verse 23, so the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua had sent to spy out Jericho. Isn't this amazing? I mean, this is this is amazing. The wall just comes down at the shout of God's people. This is the Lord's victory. And all of these things are devoted to destruction. You know, there's an incredible warning here from the Lord. We're going to have a better look at this next week. He says this, don't, call, don't allow to live the things that I have destroyed. Do you know that this is one of the keys to spiritual victories in conflict? That we can't allow things to live in our lives that Jesus has destroyed. Areas of our lives where Jesus has already brought us victory and we go back to the grave and we dig up those skeletons and we try to breathe life into those bones. And there's a warning here. You devote everything to me. This is my victory. You give, you give me the glory. You kill the things of the flesh and you take the spoils, the gold, the silver, all of these things, and you devote them to me. And, and we read what happens. The walls come down except for the walls of one woman's house. Amazing. I always picture this in my mind, you know. For the kids, maybe you're drawing this. In my mind, I always picture the walls coming down except for one house. Everything else was flattened. But there was one house that had a scarlet cord hanging from the window. It marked a house that God was going to redeem. A woman who lived a life of prostitution but who had turned her heart towards the Lord. Her family was saved. Her, her father and her mother and her brothers. And, and Rahab's life was in the most dangerous place. Interesting, I was thinking about this. Kind of no time to kind of expound on this. But I was thinking, wow, it's interesting how the enemy built into the walls of his structure a house of prostitution. I was thinking about our nation, what's built into the walls of our nation. Pothouses are open. Liquor stores are open. The this, the that. We, we've built these things into the structure of our society. We can't, we can't even shut them down because they're crucial to our survival. We need the tax dollars. Jericho, they built prostitution into the walls of the city. But God worked redemption there. And God wants to work redemption in Canada. In these areas and in these things. And all of the walls came down except for Rahab. She lived in the most dangerous place in the city. But for her, it was the safest place because God saved her. Let's read through to the end of the chapter and we'll wrap up here. It says this. Verse 26, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be any, be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Look at 
the warning right there after this victory, the warning is this, the curse, the danger of curse is this. Don't rebuild the things in your life that God has destroyed. Don't rebuild those things. Don't return to your vomit like a dog. Let those things die. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus because that's where you're going to have victory. That's where you're going to have victory. And we're going to see as we read ahead next week. Uh, you can be reading ahead. Joshua chapter 7. A man by the name of Achan. And like the dog, he returned to his vomit. He, he, he went to these things. You know, the Bible actually tells us in the book of Kings that this city was rebuilt. And the man who rebuilt it, it cost him two sons. His eldest and his youngest. And the warning there, don't rebuild the things. And so I, I think about this amazing story. Amazing, amazing story from the scriptures that tells us by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith the walls of Jericho came down after they had been circled for seven days. And this victory was a gift that was received by faith, not by effort, not by effort. And so look, church, I want to just leave you with one simple challenge this morning. Do more by doing less. Do more by doing less. And the less looks like this, more time in the presence of Jesus than other things, than other things. You know, what's the Jericho battle in your life? What's that area of spiritual warfare? You know, I just think there's so much comfort in the words of the commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, I've given the city into your hands. I've given the city into your hands. It's king and it's men of valor. See, church, we fight from victory, for victory, to victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. Give it to him. Let's pray. Would you bow with me this morning? Worship team's gonna come in a moment. Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the amazing way at which you're at work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we pray that you'd just wake us up, Lord that we would see the realities of the conflict that we are living in in this world. And we pray, God, that you would teach us to do battle, spiritual battle. Lord, that we would be much in your presence, much at your feet, in the place, the, that meeting place of holy ground, seeking your face. And we pray, Lord, that you would stir hearts. Lord, we commit to you, our church, God, we commit to you our plans to gather again. We ask, Lord, that you'd direct, that you'd guide, that you'd give us vision, Lord, that you'd show us what should, we done, should be done so that we can make your name great. Lord, that's our heart, to make your name great. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Now, just before the worship team comes, I want to say one more thing, and that's this. Do you know Jesus? Is Jesus the Savior of your life? I want to tell you knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that could ever happen to any man, woman, or child. The best. The greatest. And I want you to know this, that God loves you, that his heart beats for you, that he longs to be in relationship with you. Did you know that you have been made for relationship with Jesus? That's the whole very purpose why there's breath in your lungs so that you would know Jesus. And inside of you, there's a void. If you don't know Jesus, you, can ex you know it. You know something's missing. You know that there's an emptiness. 
You know that there's like this vacuum, and I want to tell you that Jesus is the one who's going to fill it. If you will give him your life, he will bring into your life peace and joy and hope and direction and guidance. And I I don't even know what to say because it's so awesome, everything that Jesus brings into your life. And I just want to tell you this. The Bible says Jesus comes in in this way. If you'd like Jesus to come into your life and to fill that void, here's how he does it. He says this, you just got to believe. You've got to believe that I died for your sin and that God raised me from the dead and then you confess me as Lord and I will come in and you will be born again. And so to to believe in Jesus means this, that I, I change the direction of my life. I repent of my sin and I turn in faith to Jesus and I say, Jesus, your Lord, I want you to be the commander. I want to follow you. And Jesus will say, okay, sweet, let's go. I'll give you the city. Jesus has so much that he wants to give you. But it starts here. You have to surrender. You have to get down like Joshua did before the commander of the Lord's army. And you've got to worship him. You've got to give your life to Jesus. And so I want to invite you to do that, and I'm going to pray for you right now, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you want to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life, would you pray with me right now? Dear Jesus, today I bow my heart before you. I confess that I need you. There's something missing. So I turn to you. Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I turn from self-sufficiency and self-centeredness and I turn to you. Jesus, I confess your Lord. Come into my life and fill the void, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you... If you prayed that this morning, you made the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And I'd love to just be in contact with you and encourage you, come alongside of you. And so please, if you did that, reach out. And so God bless you. Uh, Thanks for joining me at this time of the word. The worship team's gonna come and we're gonna close in song.